welcome to the We'll Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug. I'm pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Shelton, Washington. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Someone last week asked me about why it's called the We'll Preach for Food podcast. That goes back to a, a season in my life when I wasn't working in church, and I went through kind of a preaching withdrawal. So I started telling all my colleagues in area churches that if they ever wanted a break, that, well, I'd, I'd preach for them. In fact, I'd, I'd preach for food. Uh, We're going to look at a story today from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning at verse 18. Three times, three times in this passage, it says that the risen Jesus said to his followers, Peace be with you. You'd think that maybe they were anxious, afraid, and uncertain about the future, and that the most important thing that Jesus could offer them was peace. Well, how about you? Could you use a dose or three of peace this week? Today, Jesus not only offers a word of peace, but he also teaches us how to forgive so that we can be instruments of peace, instruments of the peace of God for others. As, as always, you're going to want to have your Bible handy. In the podcast notes below, you'll find links to our website, Bible references, and worship resources. Uh, to pray us into God's word, I borrow a 900-year-old prayer from an Italian monk by the name of St. Francis. God, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love for it is in giving that we, we it is in giving that we receive it is in pardoning that we are pardoned and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life amen please open your bibles to john chapter 20 beginning at verse 18 we'll read through the end of the chapter verse 18 is going to move us from mary magdalene in the garden easter morning to Easter evening, where the disciples are gathered, well, they're hiding, really, um, together in a, in a room. It says that Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So a week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. 
Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's a pretty straightforward story at the end of John's Gospel. Let me note a couple things. First, as with the other Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John affirms that women were the first witnesses of the resurrection and the first to preach the Gospel. The second part of this section um, through verse 23 is Easter Sunday night, and some of the disciples are hiding in a, rock, in a locked room. Uh, Jesus sort of shows up kind of like a ninja. Peace be with you, he says. He shows them his cool scars on his hands and side. The disciples are duly impressed. Then Jesus deputizes them, breathes on them the Holy Spirit, and tells them to stop holding grudges, to forgive themselves and each other, and get about the business of spreading the good news, the good news that they have seen the Lord. Verses 24 through 29 tell a quick story of how one of the disciples, not there the first night, well, Thomas is somewhat skeptical of the report of the risen Jesus. The following weekend, Jesus shows up again, this time with Thomas uh, in the room. Peace be with you, and Jesus invites Thomas to check out his cool scars, and now Thomas is impressed too. Finally, John uh, gives a concise conclusion to his writing, reiterating that all this was written so that people like you and me might come to experience eternal life, which for John is not just a hereafter, but it's actually a spirit-led, Jesus-shaped, purpose-driven existence here and now. In fact, it's such a conclusion that many people refer to the next chapter as more of an epilogue. So in this passage, I find three themes, the peace of God, the Holy Spirit, and the forgiveness of sins. Let's start with peace. As John is writing this, he's remembering that weekend that Jesus was killed. He remembers the mood of the group on that Sunday evening. Tensions were thick. Friendships were strained as members of the group couldn't help but realize that some within their own group had betrayed Jesus, denied Jesus. All of them had run away, truth be told. Only the women had managed to keep it together. The room was filled with shame, blame, fear, anger, finger-pointing, it was already a time of general un unrest and oppression under Roman rule, and now with Jesus' death and their association with Jesus, their own lives were at risk. This is the mood of the group when Jesus appears and says, Peace be with you. A time of grief, division, political unrest, life-threatening situations. Do you suppose we could use some peace these days? But peace isn't easy or cheap. I don't know about you, but when somebody comes and tries to make things okay or, or cover things over with sentimental platitudes and slogans like, don't worry, be happy, or everything will turn out somehow, or everything happens for a reason. I'm sorry, I, I, ah, I hate that. 
On the other hand, there is something profound and powerful when a respected leader looks at the team and says, you know what, we're going to get through this. When the coach or the general says, we can overcome this, we can take that hill. When the hospice nurse says, we're here for you. There is a level of authority and trust that lowers the anxiety, promotes confidence, unity, and inner calm. When Jesus speaks, we listen. For John, for those first disciples, and for generations of Christians to this day, the risen Jesus brings authenticity, credibility. So when Jesus says, peace be with you, we listen. Jesus shows up, risen from the dead, scars and all, looks them and us in the eyes and says with authority, with certainty, and with compassion, peace be with you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Jesus has inspired you with the spirit of peace, the comforter, to give you confidence and strength. Peace be with you. Jesus has conquered the grave to ease your grief and give you hope for the future. Peace be with you. His resurrection from the dead has ushered in the long-promised, long-hoped-for kingdom of God. All worldly authority is temporary, subject to and answerable to the risen Christ, the Prince of Peace. Peace be with you. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus carries no grudges. God holds nothing against you. With the blessing of peace, Jesus breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Now, someone this week asked me about the Holy Spirit, specifically whether or not the disciples in those days would have had an understanding or expectation of such power and presence. The answer is, well, yes, sort of. The Old Testament is replete with stories of the Spirit of God pouring out and filling prophets and judges and leaders, empowering bold proclamation, feats of courage, and acts of compassion for the weak and vulnerable. Joel had prophesied the day when his spirit, when this spirit would be poured out on all God's people. Still, after centuries of promise of the Holy Spirit, no one really knew exactly what it would look like. The Spirit is a major theme in John's Gospel. The night that Jesus is arrested in what appears to be a pre-dinner TED Talk, John records a lengthy exchange between Jesus and the disciples in the upper room, chapters 14 through 17. He tells them repeatedly that he's going away, but that they should get ready to receive the Holy Spirit, a.k.a. the Spirit of Truth, a.k.a. the Advocate, a.k.a. the Comforter. Like the spirit of the Old Testament, this spirit would fill the disciples with courage in the face of adversity. The spirit would help them to know what to say and to do to fulfill the mission of God. The spirit would work through them the same way it worked through Jesus. In fact, Jesus told them, you will do greater things than these, which is a pretty bold statement considering the whole dying and rising thing. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, in the book of Acts, it says that the gift of the Holy Spirit was first poured out into the church on Jerusalem, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, which is seven weeks after Easter. But John, John remembers that moment in the locked room, the sweet smell of the breath of heaven, 
the palpable strength and calm and energy and conviction and mission that characterized the Holy Spirit. For John, the church was born the day Jesus rose from the grave. Receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus had said. Take hold of it. Claim it. Let it work through you the same way it's been working through me all this time. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So let's talk about forgiveness. To forgive, first of all, is a natural extension and expression of the good news of Jesus Christ, a result of and a proclamation of the gospel message. Certainly central to the community of believers under the leadership of John, he circulated a pastoral letter around the same time as he wrote the gospel. We have it in the Bible. It's called 1 John. And he reminds, um, he reminds his people of this. He says, when we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God forgives sin. This is a big deal. This is a major theme and promise of the scripture. God is just. God is holy. God gives us a way to live and holds us to account. And God forgives. There's the psalm writer who said this, that if you, God, kept a record of sins, we wouldn't stand a chance, but with you is forgiveness. Or another psalm writer who sings praise to God precisely because God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our wrongdoings. He sings, as far as the east is from the west, God has removed our transgressions from us. Jesus' death and resurrection broke the power of sin, the power of death, and the power of the devil. Central to our faith is belief in the forgiveness of sins for Jesus' sake. So we can kind of get that, and God's forgiveness is one thing. I mean, it's God we're talking about. God's in the forgiveness business, right? Yet here Jesus tells us that forgiving others is something that we should be doing. Though really what Jesus says is not even so much a command as it is a statement of fact. Read it again in verse 20, chapter 20, verse 23. He says, forgiven sins are forgiven, and unforgiven sins are unforgiven. So I wonder, maybe it's less of a command and more of an invitation. I love how Eugene Peterson translated translates this verse in his translation called The Message. He records it this way, Receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus said. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. And if you don't forgive them, what are you going to do with them? Think about that. If you don't forgive the sins of others, what are you going to do with them? Forgive, afe. It's a word that has to do with letting go, giving up, releasing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that God does not hold our sins against us. So why in God's name when we voluntarily hold on to someone else's sins? Let it go. Give it up. Put it down. Take it off your shoulders and put it on the shoulders of the one who bore the sins of the whole world already. Yeah, but Doug, you say, it's hard to forgive so-and-so for what they did to me. Yes, forgiving others is not easy. If it were, well, I wouldn't need to preach about it, and Jesus wouldn't need to teach about it. 
The deal is that I'm beginning to suspect that the only thing harder than forgiving others is not forgiving others. The only thing harder than forgiving others is not forgiving others. Jesus isn't talking about forgetting or lowering standards or going with the flow or justifying behaviors or letting anybody get away with anything. Jesus is talking about abundant life. He's talking about throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Jesus is talking about taking hold of the freedom that he won for you and for me on the cross. Jesus is talking about how we can be truly instruments of the spirit of peace for the world. Jesus is talking about how it is that we can be the church of the God who forgives sins. So two stories about forgiving. The first is not my story, but the personal testimony of my friend Dean Smith I've included a link to his ministry called Live to Forgive. Dean, by the mercy of God, overcame an awful childhood tragedy, and he's impacted positively hundreds of lives through the dogged, relentless power of forgiveness in his life. The second is a memory that comes from when I was working as a hospice chaplain in western Montana. As I remember it, there was a woman who was admitted to our hospice center. Her next of kin was listed as a daughter living in Idaho. The daughter admitted to us that she was estranged from her mother, as were her four siblings, and frankly, none of them wanted anything to do with their mother. See, their mother, uh, the patient, had left her husband and her five children to run off with another man. She'd left them and cut off all ties with the family. The children grew up bitter, resentful of their mom. The husband died some years ago, and the five adult children barely kept in contact with each other, and certainly not with their mother. This daughter reluctantly agreed to be a contact for hospice, along with another sister, and the two of them managed their mother's care from a distance in the following weeks. It was the first meaningful interaction that the two sisters had had in years. At some point, their brother, the oldest, was contacted about another medical decision that was needed for their mother. He surprised the sisters by offering to travel to Montana to meet with them. Their mother's condition was worsening, so uh, the three of them decided to contact the other two sisters. And by the following week, all of them were meeting together in the living room of our hospice facility, huddled behind closed doors, their mother dying down the hall in her room. Understand, these siblings had come together to be there for each other, not for their mother. But when I arrived at work the next morning, I was met by two of the sisters. We're ready to forgive mom, they told me. Even our brother is. And that day, the five of them gathered in the room with their mother. One by one, they voiced forgiveness and said their goodbyes. Within days, their mother died, forgiven. And those adult children went home, their own burdens also lifted, a family reconciled and at peace. Today's message is a word of peace from Jesus himself to disciples like you and me.
Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Receive the Holy Spirit. Beloved, let go of your burdens, your fears, your anxieties and doubts. Today, even just for a minute, you're invited to give it up. Put it down and rest in peace, in the peace of God which passes all understanding. And for the love of God, let each one of us dedicate ourselves to being instruments of God's healing and forgiving. It starts today. It is a lifelong pursuit, and it is worth it. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's We'll Preach for Food podcast. Thank you, Chaz, for your production work. Thank you, healthcare professionals, especially my old hospice team back in Montana. Thank you, Dean, for your powerful ministry of forgiveness. And thank you, people of Faith Lutheran, for your mercy and grace during this challenging time. You can access other episodes of this podcast through our website, www.faithshelton.org. You can subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or any other way you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to like us, and while you're at it, post a comment or share this link with a friend. Today's benediction is from the letter of Romans, chapter 16, the last three verses. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.